This podcast and others are brought to you by everythingvoluntary.com. Voluntary principle states that all human relations should happen by mutual consent or not at all. This podcast aims to promote respect for the voluntary principle in all walks of life and for all age groups. My name is Skylar Collins, and this is Everything Voluntary. No Hitting, a short guide on why spanking is unnecessary, explores corporal punishment. You may download the book for free or purchase it in paperback at everythingvoluntary.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. It's January 27th, 2021. I came across this, I don't know if it's an article or a blog post, from Peter Gray, who I've talked about before, and I published some of his stuff over at Voluntarist Voices. Um, it's from 2011, and it's basically highlighting another scholar's work that I thought was interesting. The title of it is, How Does School Wound? Kirsten Olson Has Counted Some Ways. Uh, so let me just introduce. So Peter Gray is a research professor at Boston College in the psychology department, and he's been a, a an academic, uh, a researcher, and a big promoter of self-directed education and unschooling. His book, Free to Learn, is um, one of the best in in understanding how we best learn as a species, and that is through through play. So in that book, he looks at, you know, hunter-gatherers and the research that's been done there on on child-rearing and education among hunter-gatherers. And then he gets into like Sudbury schooling, which is an uns- an unschooling based school model, democratic school model, free school model. Anyway, he's somebody I've been following for a while now. Um, so so this uh, article introduces somebody named Kirsten Olson, who eventually wrote the book called "Wounded by School: Recapturing the Joy in Learning and Standing Up to Old School Culture." Uh, she's an educational researcher. Uh, an activist, a consultant, and writer deeply concerned about children learning in the conditions of our schools. And at the time, she was the president of the Board of Directors for the Institute of Democratic Education in America. So this book, Wounded by School, it says, is the outcome of research that Olson began when she was an education doctoral candidate at Harvard. As one who loves learning and has always had high esteem for education, Olson intended to conduct research into the delights and enlightenment experienced in the course of schooling. But when she began interviewing people to learn about such positive effects, she found that they talked about the pain of school. So her her doctoral advisor, Sarah Lawrence Lightfoot, wrote this, um, explaining this in the foreword to the book. She wrote, in her first foray into the field, in-depth interviews with an award-winning architect, a distinguished professor, a gifted writer, a marketing executive. Olson certainly expected to hear stories of joyful and pro- productive learning. The stories that mix seriousness, adventure, and pleasure, work and play, desire, and commitment. Instead, she discovered the shadows of pain, disappointment, even cynicism in their vivid, re- vivid recollections of schooling. 
Instead of the light that she expected, she found darkness. And their stories did not merely refer to old wounds now healed and long forgotten. They were called deeply embedded wounds that still bruised and ached, wounds that still compromised and distorted their sense of themselves as persons and professionals. And as her project expanded, she began interviewing people of all ages, from school children on up to grandparents, people from a wide range of socioeconomic backgrounds and occupying a wide variety of careers. She was struck by the earnestness and emotion that came forth as people talked about the wounds that they still felt in relation to their schooling. Uh, Peter Gray goes on, in her book, she categorizes the wounds into seven groups and she illustrates each with quotations from interviews. Then in later chapters, she describes how caring parents, teachers, and students themselves can help prevent and heal the wounds. So here he uh, simply lists um, the wounds with his own description. So I just wanted to kind of read through those. He says, the first four categories of wounds all seem to result primarily from the restrictions that are placed on students' behavior and learning in school. The preset curriculum, the narrow set of permissible learning procedures, the tests in which there's one right answer for every question, and the often arbitrary rules that students have no role in creating. So, number one, wounds of creativity. School stifles creativity. This is perhaps the most obvious wound of school. Students' own passions and interests are generally ignored. Students' unique, creative ways of solving problems and their outside-the-box answers to questions, which fail to match the teacher's answer sheets, are not understood and are graded as wrong by busy teachers. Wrote learning and tests that have one right answer for every question leave no room for creativity. Olson's informants who went on to live create creative lives apparently did so despite, not because of, schooling. They had to recover or rebuild the creative spirit that had been so natural to them before starting school. My own guess is that altogether too many others rarely think about creativity once they've lost it in school. They may not even notice this wound. And then there are those who remain creative in those realms that school doesn't touch, but become uncreative in the realms covered by the school curriculum. How many people have totally lost mathematical creativity because of the ways it was taught in school? Okay, so that's interesting because I, um, I, I used to, when I was little, I remember drawing and painting and really enjoying it. And I don't know, I mean, I remember there, um, me wanting to do stuff like that and then you know, not being allowed to because school wanted us to do other things. And eventually I just wasn't interested in that anymore. Even, even today when I get some opportunity to create some sort of art project or work on something artistic with one of my kids, there's a, there's a strong pull away from uh, wanting to do that. It, it's as if it feel, it doesn't feel fun. It feels like work. It feels like homework. It feels like like it's something I have to do. And there's probably a reason for that. Not Obviously, not everybody suffers from that. There are people, and he kind of makes the point here, where it's not because of school, but really in spite of school, that they manage to hang on to that part, that creativity. Now, I think I've expressed creativity in other ways, right? I've, I've ran this website, Everything Voluntary, for a while now. I've written quite a bit. I don't write so much anymore, but I do podcasts and I do I do create content in a sense. That's a type of creativity. It's not, I don't know, I, I wouldn't call it artistic. I'm not writing fiction. I'm not drawing pictures. I'm not painting. I'm not creating music. I'm I'm more 
it, the I guess the creative realm that I'm currently operating in is more in the ideas realm. It's more in the philosophy realm, thinking, right? The intellectual realm, maybe. But, you know, I'm also not trying to forge ahead in any particular area and trying to advance knowledge. <laughs> I think that takes creativity. I'm learning. I'm certainly learning. I'm learning new things every day. I'm listening to a lot of voices talk about a lot of different things. You know, and that, that serves as brain food, which I then can chew on and, you know, even form into new things and push it out here in this sort of medium of, of podcasting or writing or even in conversation with people. But I don't know, maybe, maybe that artistic create creativity I had, maybe that is a wound from school. Maybe not. But I, I believe that other people have suffered from that. Certainly. Okay, his next one is wounds of compliance. In school, students must continuously follow rules and procedures that they have no role in creating and must complete assignments that make no sense in terms of their own learning needs. Students generally cannot question these rules and assignments. If they do, they are smart alex or worse. To avoid getting into trouble, they learn to obey blindly, and in the process, they learn to be bad citizens in a democracy. Democracy requires citizens who question the rules and insist on changing those that are unfair or don't make sense. They also hurt themselves by going through life following narrower paths than they might if school had not taught them that it is dangerous to explore the edges. Okay, now this one's interesting because there's I, – I do like his point here. And you have a lot of people these days who are fighting against things like free speech. And these same people claim – to be big supporters and promoters of democracy, but that's that's inconsistent, right? They 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 don't really want democracy. Which look, democracy is not the greatest thing in the world. I get it. Democracy from the aspect of from this from this guy's aspect, he's kind of a kind of a leftist type. He's not he's not a libertarian. He's certainly not an anarchist. He's not a hoppian or anything like that. But there is sort of this mainstream liberal view that democracy is better than monarchy. And that's really, you know, the comparison. And, of course, there's republics and constitutions and what all that means. Are we talking about absolute direct democracy or that's, that's not what's going on here. But I think the point is a lot of these people who are schooling's biggest supporters – are also the people who are democracy's biggest supporters, right? And they, they do. They make that argument that democracy is what's best for protecting our, our freedoms and our liberties, right? That's, that's their argument. And then they support something like schooling, which is focused on conformity and compliance. And, and I like the point he makes here, and I like the way he makes it. He says, uh, rule, following rules that they've had no role in creating – and completing assignments that make no sense in terms of their own learning needs. So as far as learning leads, it's a matter of where they're at right now, what, what their curiosity is demanding that they go after is really what I think that means. So students can't question rules and assignments. If they do, then they're, you know, they're the bad students. They're the smart Alex. They're the, the troublemakers. They're the, the ne'er-do-wells. But democracy, democracy if it is an ideal, if it is a standard, if it is a good thing, then it requires citizens, people involved who do question the rules 
and insist on changing them when they don't make sense or when they're unfair. I can appreciate that much. So there's an inconsistency here. There's a contradiction, right? If you're, if you're truly into democracy and democracy does have that requirement, then you should be fighting hard against school, against the way that school is operating now because of the, the wound, this wound, wounds of compliance. And I would say wounds of conformity. And maybe he gets into that. Let's see. Okay. So the third one, wounds of rebellion. Some students respond to the arbitrary rules and assignments by rebelling rather than complying. They may in some cases feel intense anger toward the system that has taken away their freedom and dignity, toward teachers who seem to be complicit with that system and toward the goody-goody students who go along. They may manifest their scorn by sitting in the back of the classroom making snide remarks, blatantly flouting rules, and rarely, if ever, completing assignments. Rebellion may sometimes be a healthier response than compliance, but if it goes too far, it may hurt even more than compliance. Failure in school may cut off valued future paths. Anger toward schooling can lead to a turning away from all forms of learning. And perhaps most tragically, the rebellion can take forms that physically harm the self and others, especially if the person turns to drugs, promiscuous sex, and crime as forms of self-expression and self-identity. Okay, this is one of those cases where he had me in the first half, I'm not going to (laughs) lie. Right, the idea of rebellion I like that. I do. I personally like that. That's that's the the anarchist and the voluntarist in me. Um, but that can, for a lot of people, that can that can be. I guess what is the word? He, um, if it goes too far, it may hurt even more than compliance. So the the wound here is that you're just for whatever reason you're not the compliant type. You're not going to conform. Okay, that's just that's just who who some people are. So you're going to push against school and you push yourself so hard against it that you push yourself so far away from it into an irresponsible direction, right? Drugs, crime, under, you know, underage sex, that sort of stuff. And you can cause a lot of problems for yourself. But what, what, you know, what else, (laughs) what else are these people supposed to do? It's not exactly as if they're given the choice to just opt out. Okay, it's almost like the only way they can get out is to push so hard that they do push themselves in that that dangerous direction. And that's and that's why this is a wound caused by school because of the lack of real effectual opting out, right? I just I don't agree with these rules, I don't agree with what they want me to do. I'm just going to say no thank you and I'm going to go do my own thing. Right? It 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 it's as if it it's it's like a rubber band, right? You just you're pushing against it so hard it flings you in the other direction because there's no release. There's no let go because it wants to hold on to you so tight. Okay, interesting. All right, number four, wounds of numbness. The constant grind of school doing one tedious assignment after another according to the school schedule following the school's procedures can lead to intellectual numbness. Many of Olson's respondents described themselves as zoned out or intellectually numb as long as they were in school. Intellectual excitement is rarely rewarded in school, but doggedly grinding it out, doing what you're supposed to do, never missing a deadline, is rewarded. Brilliant work in one subject at the expense of ignoring another might earn you an A and an F in in the two classes. But good enough, non-inspired work in both subjects might earn you an A in both. This is one of the many ways by which schooling kills intellectual enthusiasm. When students do demonstrate enthusiasm, it is usually about something that has nothing to do with their lessons. That's, uh, that's pretty interesting. I, I, I went, I went, uh, intellectually numb 
um, as far as schooling was concerned in middle school. Um, that's when I started having some, some issues and I just didn't want to be there. So I just started going through, right? It became, it really kind of became traumatic when I would consider the assignments that were due and how I had never, I hadn't even had any motivation to start them. And now all of a sudden they're due and it, it just kind of became a traumatic experience to, to get them done, to do the work that I just didn't want to do. Nobody likes to work at something that they don't want to work on. And that's as, you know, that's as, that's as true for adults as it is for kids and, and adolescents. And then, you know, eventually the last, uh, couple of years in high school, it was really just sloughing as much as I could. Um, you know, that's, that's when my grades really started to fall. I mean, I was nearly a 4.0 student through middle school and then halfway through high school, it's when it's pretty much dropped down to 3.0. And I even had to do some, some makeup packets to try to boost some grades. I remember. And it's just, it's just those things that you just slog through, right? You just have no, absolutely no interest in doing it, but you, you're being made to, right? Because if, if you're, if you just, if you just totally check out while you're in school and you don't, you don't do any of the homework, then your parents find, find out and then you get screamed at and yelled at, you know, and traumatized in that direction. So you, you do just enough to keep your parents from realizing what's going on. You do just enough to, to scrape through, right? At, at that point, it's just a matter of survival, right? There's nothing intellectual about any of this. There's nothing creative about any of this. You're just kind of an intellectual zombie avoiding the meat grinder is how I would put it, right? Because what you really want to do is you really want to go back outside, get in your cool car with this cool stereo and drive off and go to an extra long lunch and hang out. You don't want to do any of the bullshit you're not interested in. But I wasn't entirely intellectually numb. I did get really into cars and I got into, um, you know, my, uh, my, my, my interest was in like Japanese imports and Hondas and Toyotas and in the, you know, the rice rockets. I never really cared for the, the rice rocket type scene, but I did like the really clean tuned, good looking, um, engineering marvels that were small, you know, small engine, really fast cars. Right. And I really got into that. And that's kind of where my interest was, was, was in that sort of thing. And then, you know, I, you know, I graduated high school and I was still kind of into that, but I was also into, you know, working and making some money and, you know, trying to date and that sort of thing. And just, you know, eventually I met my wife, my, my wife, uh, my girlfriend who became my wife. And it was after we got married, that's when I discovered economics and had this intellectual explosion. Actually, before the economics, for me, it was, this was when I was dating my wife, it was, it was, uh, Mormon apologetics and it was Mormon scholarship and right. And really getting into the intellectual side of Mormonism, which is very rich. It was very rich and it was a very interesting playground to be in. And that was really like feeding me intellectually. And I got active in the Mormon church and started doing the, you know, the things that you do there, got married in a Mormon temple. And then it was after that, that I discovered economics and just, again, just intellectual explosion in that direction. And then, you know, philosophy and, and politics and, and, you know, the intellectual stuff came, but it, it, you know, all of that, all of that exciting stuff should have been happening 
should have been happening then, but it also should have been happening in my adolescence instead of the absolute waste of time that schooling was for me. I could have been doing very interesting things, very interesting intellectual pursuits. There were were directions I wanted to go in that I just couldn't do. So there was a numbness there. Okay, he says the remaining three categories of wounds identified by Olson all seem to be inflicted by the ways that people are ranked and sorted in school. You can be wounded differently depending on whether you're ranked low, high, or middle. So here's number five, wounds of underestimation. In her interviews, Olson found that some described ways in which they were wounded by assumptions made about them because of their race, social class, gender, or performance on one or another test that was supposed to measure intelligence or aptitude. In some cases, it seemed easier to go along with the assumption than to fight it, so the assumption became a self-fulfilling prophecy. More generally, a low grade achieved in a course or set of courses can unduly discourage, discourage people from following what had been their dream. A would-be biologist chooses a less desired track because of a D in 10th grade biology. A would-be author concludes that professional writing is beyond her scope because an English teacher could not see the sparkle of her essays or the brilliance in her non-conventional sentence structure and gave her below-average grades. If only students knew how many great achievers in our society received poor school grades in the realm of their achievement. If only teachers knew. Uh, This also, and I don't know if he'll talk more about this, but this also stems from the idea of one size fits all, right? Here's the curriculum, which is the size, and it must fit you. And if you don't, if you don't regurgitate or spit out or produce what the curriculum expects, then you're marked for it, right? You may be a very creative th- thinker, or a very different type of thinker, an alternative type of thinker. Not everybody thinks the same. Not everybody does things the same. Not everybody is the same. So when you have one size fits all, a lot of people are going to get wounded in this way. They're going to fill, they're, they're going to be underestimated by the system. And then they're going to internalize that. They're going to go along with it rather than saying, no, you're wrong. This is something I really like and I really care about. So let's let's figure out let's figure out how we can do it together and not just your way. Okay, interesting. Number 6. Wounds of perfectionism. High grades and high scores on intelligence tests too can wound. Students who develop identities as high achievers may feel extraordinary pressure to continue high achievement in everything. For them, even an A- in a course or getting only the second best part in the class play or rejection by the top Ivy League school may feel like terrible failure, failure to live up to the image that others have have of them or the image that they have of themselves. The wound of perfectionism explains why so many top students cheat when they feel that they must to get the grade that everyone expects, expects them to get. When grades are the measure of perfection, everything is done for the grade. In school, perfection and intellectual numbness are quite compatible. For an excellent description of how the wound of perfectionism can interfere with real education, I prefer you I refer you to the courageous valedictorian speech given a year ago by Erica Goldson. Okay. Of course I'll link to this article and you can you can get there from there. Um but you see that you see that sort of um caricatured in shows and movies and whatnot. Right? Where there's there's the person that's you know it's so good at school, right? They're the high achiever, the top performer. And they they get so wound up that at some point they just break. They explode. They just can't do it anymore. 
And, you know, that's obviously going to be a, a traumatic event for them, which, which isn't going to bode well. There's also, um, I don't know, maybe he'll talk about it in the next, the, the final wound here. But when I would see those people, the people who always got the A's, you know, that ran for student body, the popular kids that were also the smart kids. There were popular kids that were kind of goof-offs, but then there were the, the ones that were also really good students. There's, you know, because I wasn't having such a good time, and they were, that would sort of compound my own self-pity. <laughs> I said it. Um, because I would, I would think, how is it that these people can do these things, and they're obviously happy. They obviously have a great life. They're obviously having success. And I'm over here feeling like shit. How, how do they, how do, how can they have that? How do they do that? And I can't. And it didn't make me, you know, hate them. It made me hate myself. It made me feel like there's something wrong with me. I'm a loser, right? I have this problem. This is my fault, right? And there's probably some shame there too. All right, number seven, wounds of the average. The middle, middling student who is neither sinking nor soaring in the eyes of the school officials may suffer from invisibility. In Olson's interviews, these people describe themselves as feeling insignificant, as people who don't really matter much. In the worst cases, they develop self-identities as people who are unimportant, who do not make waves, who go along but never lead. That That doesn't really speak to me. I never... I never thought of myself as unimportant, but I did think of myself as broken, as there's something wrong with me, that this can't be normal. And not finding the motivation to do the work that they wanted me to do also influenced that, those feelings, right? It, it also influenced the feeling of, I can't do anything right. I don't want to do this. I'm supposed to want to do this. I'm supposed to be motivated to do this, but I don't right? There's something wrong with me. I'm broken. I'm inferior. I'm less than. So maybe that's another wound that didn't quite come out. I don't know what I would call it. Maybe it's a combination of several of these wounds. But the wounds are there because I've, I hate school. I hate it. I hate it so much that I'm not pushing my own kids through it. They are not going to suffer these wounds or any others from schooling. Now, does that mean that they won't have any challenges? in our school-based society, they will. There will, be, there will be significant portions of common knowledge, quote-unquote, that will be missing, right? There were things I learned in school. You know, I learned, uh, you know, about all of America's wars and what they were about and the results of them. My kids haven't. They kind of, you know, they kind of understand what Nazis are, and that's pretty much it. <laughs> So there will be um, gaps. There'll be significant gaps in their knowledge. Does that worry me? No, uh, because gaps are easily filled, especially these days. You could fill a gap. You could fill a gap of knowledge with a five-minute YouTube video, right? When when you're when you're not understanding a reference to something, you know it's it's easy enough to go boom boom, watch a video. Now you get it. But you also have to consider. How many people come into this, come into this society, our society, our, our broad American society? How many people come in from the outside that have the same gaps of knowledge that my kids will and, and still manage to find success? 
Okay, that's that's what's important to me is not their knowledge base. It's not what they know. What's important to me primarily is their mental health and their their happiness and contentment. That's what's important to me. Because they can learn anything they want to learn. If they don't get a reference to something, they can look it up and they can they can learn it. And they'll have their own little intellectual interests and they'll chase those. But there are people who come into this country, they immigrate from, you know, the third world and other places, and they're able to 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 find wealth and prosperity, right? Without without having gone through Amer- the American school system. <laughs> so I don't see that as any sort of disadvantage at all. But there might be cases where my kids need to do what's necessary to earn a GED. That might be a requirement for something. Who knows? Um, but it's not difficult to do, especially as an adult. It's not difficult to do as a you know, 17, 18, 19-year-old. You could do a course for six months and come out with a GED. You don't have to do a 12-year school career to get the same thing at the end of the day. And what about college? Anybody can go to college. You just have to pay for it. And I don't have any money to pay for it. I didn't have any money to pay for my own college. My parents didn't have any money to pay for my college. And college is really not much of an investment these days, depending on what you're interested in. But they'll have the opportunity to get student loans or to work really hard and to pay for it themselves. My oldest right now is learning to drive on and off. He's got until about April when he can get his learner's permit. He doesn't turn 16 until next October. Um, he's kind of looking at getting a job. There's only one place around here that will hire him at 15, but I'm not really pushing him. I don't, you know, I tell him, I say, I know you want the job, you want to make money, but don't grow up too fast, right? Enjoy this time while, while you're young and while you don't have any responsibilities. (laughs) And he has, he has, they do. They very much enjoy the time that they have. It's not being wasted in school. It's being used pursuing the things they're passionate about. And I tease them all the time, right? When they don't know something, I'll tell them they're dummies. <laughs> you know, I really kind of deflate their ego. And then I'll, you know, if they want to understand what, what, what it's about, I'll explain and we'll find a video on it or something. But they'll, they'll do something dumb or they'll say something dumb or they'll calculate a small little math problem incorrectly and I'll I'll kind of tease them about it. It's all in good fun. Keeps them hum- humble, I hope. Um and I'll tell them, "Hey man, if you can't get this, you're going to have to go to school." <laughs> they know I'm joking though. Um uh, but these these are the wounds that they're avoiding. Now, will they have other challenges? Absolutely, they'll have other challenges. But they will they will overcome them. I'm not worried about that at all. What they won't have are these wounds. Let me let me review them. Wounds of creativity. My kids are very creative. My daughter is constantly painting and drawing and making all sorts of things. And she just she just does what she wants. She's not doing it to do assignments. She's not, you know, doing it and getting graded on it. She's just doing it. My my five year old is constantly playing with her growing collection of of Barbies and whatnot and constantly having it all spread out in the room and she's doing all kinds of stuff with them. <laughs> And, okay, so the second one, wounds of compliance. My kids don't comply. If I want my kids to do something, I have to convince them to do it. I have to negotiate it. I have to persuade them. Sometimes I have to pay them. They don't let me push them around. They don't let me force them do, to do things. It's a trade. It's a negotiation. It's a persuasion. It's not a coercion. It's not compulsion. Wounds of rebellion. My kids don't have anything to rebel against because. Nobody's controlling them. 
Nobody's coercing them. Um, they may, I mean, they may rebel in some way. I don't know what they would rebel against, I guess, rebel against freedom <laughs> and go find some more structure. But it, it you know, it's not, it's not going to rubber band them. They're not, it's not something that's so hard that they're going to spring the other way and get into the dangerous and, and life damaging practices of drugs and crime and whatnot. There's, there's no indication of that at all. It's funny. My, my son has a, a girlfriend. She lives in Ontario, Canada. He met her randomly on the internet and they're, you know, they constantly have their videos on each other all day long while they're do the, doing their own thing. Um, I think she's, she's been in school, but I think she's stopped going to school, which good for her. I think she stood up for herself and said no more, but it's, it's funny because I, my, me and my wife, we were, I was kind of creating this story about how he would sort of rebel from us in, in a way of packaging up and sending his sperm to Canada. And then she would, you know, insert it in herself and get pregnant. And then it would be the story about how this kid's never met his girlfriend, but he got her pregnant. <laughs> it was just this weird, this weird thing. I was, I was being creative, right? I was having a little spark there. I thought that was kind of funny. Anyway, uh, number four, wounds of numbness. There's definitely no numbness there. They're, they're definitely very interested in a lot of different things and constantly watching videos and playing games and making stuff and, you know, doing what they do. And then these other things, uh, under, wounds of underestimation, wounds of perfectionism, wounds of the average. They're, they're not comparing themselves to anybody. They're not being compared to anybody. They're not being held to high achievement. None of these, none of these will affect them. They will be spared all seven of these wounds. And I, and I'm happy for that. I'm, I'm glad that we're doing that. And I would fight hard for that right now. It's not an issue where we're at here in, in Salt Lake in Utah. We can do that. It's not, that doesn't create any legal problems for us. And I don't have to make up reports and they don't have to be tested and all this other bullshit that some other places have to do. But it is, it is possible to unschool pretty much anywhere. It's just some places require a lot more homework <laughs> from, from the parents who are probably unschooling because they didn't like school. <laughs> The irony there, right? If you're going to keep your kids out of school and keep them from being wounded in this way, we're going to, we're going to put you back in school. <laughs> it's just bullshit. Okay. I think that's it. That's the end of that. I'll link to this. And there's some, some interesting links throughout that you can go check out. His is a really good blog, Peter Gray. It's called Freedom to Learn. It's at psychologytoday.com. This is an act. This is actually a really old article that I, I didn't get into to unschooling until really until 2011, 2012. And so I, I didn't, I didn't start um, reading this guy. So I missed this one at the time, but it did come up recently, I think on Reddit probably. Okay. That's it. I'll link to this. Please remember, don't hurt people. Don't take their stuff and don't ask permission. Thank you so much for listening and have a better day. Please send your comments or questions to everythingvoluntary at gmail.com. If you like this episode, please subscribe to Thinking and Doing, a podcast where I examine logical fallacy, cognitive bias, stoic teachings, and tips on being better at life. You can rate and review this podcast in your podcast app, and please share it with everyone you know. 
please consider supporting this podcast and everythingvoluntary.com by setting up an automatic monthly donation at patreon.com forward slash EVC. One-time donations are also accepted at paypal.me forward slash everythingvoluntary.com.